This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. What's up? Welcome into In the Zone today here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 as well on the FM dial. I am your host, Jackson Schneider, today on a Thursday evening edition of today's show. Got a lot uh, in store for you today. Some local sports headlines, a couple of national headlines as well, some fun stuff uh, as well as we're going to take our first real look at the Kansas City Chiefs and the NFL Draft. The draft is quickly approaching two weeks exactly from right this very moment. So in our next segment, we'll take a look at the Chiefs, some of their biggest draft needs, why those needs are the way they are, and and maybe, just maybe, some names to look out for in those draft spots. A couple of... uh, Mock drafts I've been reading lately have gotten my head spinning, so I want to talk about that a little bit. We'll also talk about the Denver Broncos and their approach to the NFL draft next week uh, because this is our last show of the week. Tomorrow we'll have high school uh, baseball on the station for you as the Salina Central Mustangs take on the Andover Central Jaguars. So that's where we're going to start in terms of our headlines today because that one has actually been changed a little bit. It was previously scheduled for a four o'clock start of that doubleheader tomorrow at Dean Evans Stadium, but there's the potential for some severe weather tomorrow evening. So in an effort to kind of get ahead of the storm there, they're going to push that first pitch time up an hour to about uh, 3 o'clock at Dean Evans Stadium. So our coverage here on KSAL will begin at 2.50. Todd Senecal going to have the play-by-play of that contest for you. Uh, game one, at least, of that doubleheader for Salina Central and the Andover Central Jaguars tomorrow in the first, again, just the first game here on KSAL tomorrow. The event that will follow that is Kansas City Royals baseball. And that's where we're going to go next is baseball because there have been some changes to the game of baseball this year. You, you can't avoid it. I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you're well aware. They, they added the pitch clock and the there's a, a few differences in how um, the game moves, right? So they, they uh, changed the shift rules as well. They made some rule changes about how uh, batters can't back out of the box at certain points. And, you know, you get 15 seconds between pitches, blah, 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 all that. Well, those changes are getting exactly what Major League Baseball was looking for in terms of the fan experience. One of the largest... Um, I guess we'll call them complaints. I did. I'm. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this maybe didn't feel this way, but the casual baseball fan was unhappy with how long games tended to take. Uh, with you know whether that be too much time between pitches or just games taking too long to be decided. You know, extra innings going super late into the night. Well, that the the pitch clock was the specific change that was made this season. It was implemented this year for game speed alone. And 
Come to find out, through the first two weeks of the Major League Baseball season, games are about 30 minutes shorter than previously thought. Usually it was about three hours or thereabouts. Right now, the time for games this season is running right around two and a half hours or slightly over two and a half hours. Well, that's good on one hand because for the casual baseball fan, you're getting the experience in a shorter time frame. You're you're not losing out on any baseball. They they didn't really like shorten the game by any means. Uh in terms of the innings or the outsness, like all that, outs necessary, all that stuff. I'm tripping myself up here. But what they did do was compact it. The only problem with that is that in the first two weeks of the season, playing shorter games, these businesses, these multi-billion dollar businesses are starting to learn that, hey, If we don't have fans in our ballpark for quite as long, we're losing out on a lot of money, specifically as it relates to alcohol sales. And there have been a couple of of articles written about this already, but it's estimated that each MLB team at this current pace is losing out on hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost alcohol revenue sales because of the game just being shorter. Well, typically, like, for example, the Royals, and I'll tell you why in a second, the Royals last year and all the years previous, basically in my lifetime since this was implemented, stopped alcohol sales after the seventh inning. Um, One, because it, it gives the illusion or the appearance that they want their fans to stop drinking and at a certain point sober up whatever make sure everyone can get home safely or or limit uh, their I guess uh, influence on potential drunk driving and, and issues like that well the problem being that is a tough line to walk for a multi-billion dollar business especially if you're a baseball team in a small market that absolutely needs that revenue And that is exactly what the Royals are right now. Because not only are they a small market team, they are a bad small market team. So ticket sales are not off to hot starts because the Royals have won just four of their first 13 games. So, twofold, the Royals are losing out on money. Not just on ticket ticket sales, but obviously concession sales and alcohol sales. So what they've done, effective from what my understanding is, uh, is immediately, is they have extended now the, the period of which you can purchase alcohol within the stadium through the eighth inning. They added one extra inning on to make up for some of those losses. They're still going to have a bit of a buffer time between the end of alcohol sales and the start of what we'll call sober up time where you get the last inning of the game, no alcohol sales for the fans who are driving home to potentially sober up, what have you. I don't think that has any impact, personally, on whether or not a person can sober up in the 15 to 20 minutes of that inning being played. I don't think that's relevant. I think it's just an an 
image thing for the major league team, in this case the Royals, to just appear like they care about that. Um, while also making more money for the organization, stuffing their pockets more. Uh, so, if you're a, a casual fan of baseball and you're going to go to a Royals game here in the near future, which they open up a homestand tomorrow with the Atlanta Braves, um, if you're going to take in one of those games or, or any game the rest of the season, you get an extra inning to buy your beer or buy your drinks. Uh, oh, by the way, there is one caveat to that. <laughs> and this is the funny one to me because... Um, Again, they, they stop, they're stopping the sales at a certain point, again, to just, a, in my opinion, appear like they care. Unless you spend extra money on your tickets. And the reason for that is if you buy a premium seating area spot in the, at, at a Royals game. Uh, for example, like a suite or the Diamond Club right behind home plate or the party porch where alcohol is included or the Boulevard uh, Draft House, all those specifically alcohol-oriented places. If you buy that premium ticket, which costs more than your, your $20 nosebleeder in the top deck, you get to drink until the game is over. They will sell you or provide you alcohol in the premium seating areas of Kauffman Stadium if you pay extra for your ticket. Because again, it's not really about, hey, we're going to stop selling alcohol at a certain time so that everyone can get home safely. It's more of, we'll stop selling alcohol at a certain time so long as we're making a certain amount of money. So, sort of a, a slippery slope there for the Royals. A little bit sleazy, in my opinion. But hey, again, for a casual fan, if you're just going to have a few beers and watch a baseball game on a nice summer evening, congrats. You've got six more outs to get it done than in previous years. Um, other fun news for you in the world of baseball. Earlier this afternoon, the Tampa Bay Rays defeated the Boston Red Sox 9-3 in their afternoon matinee. That puts the Tampa Bay Rays record to 13-0. and They are undefeated through their first 13 games. The only two other teams to have achieved this since the year 1900 are the 1982 Braves and the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers. So, the Rays have at least tied history. They will have a chance coming up tomorrow for an opportunity to get off to the best start in Major League Baseball history. Again, the Tampa Bay Rays defeated the Boston Red Sox earlier today by a score of 9-3 to to improve their record to 13-0. and uh, Another little note here locally as we work through our headlines here on In the Zone today. Uh, one Kansas State basketball player has entered the transfer portal, but hold your breath, everyone. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. I'll tell you who. Freshman walk-on Peyton Ackerman. He did not play in a single game this season. Um, he has enlisted in the transfer portal after one year as the K-State walk-on under Jerome Tang this last year. So, no real reason for concern. I would imagine uh, Mr. Ackerman is just trying to find a place where he may actually see the floor. Nothing wrong with that. He went to K-State as a walk-on, tried to give work his shot into, uh, you know, 
playing time or an opportunity to grow. Didn't work out there. Not a problem. He's entering the transfer portal. This is the good side of the transfer portal there. But uh, again, Peyton Ackerman, freshman walk-on for K-State. He is entering the transfer portal as of last night. Now we get to the fun stuff. I saved the last two headlines, my best two headlines for last. This one, college football related. And if you know me, you know I love college football. You know I also love to sports bet, sports gambling, all that stuff. Well, here is the perfect marriage of the two. Officially announced today, the Mountain West Conference will be holding its Football Media Days festivities this summer, July 19th and 20th, live from lovely Las Vegas, Nevada at Circa Sportsbook. The penult- like the, the best, the most impressive sports book, sports betting location on earth. And they have reached a, a partnership with the Mountain West Conference. Um, I was unsure of whether they meant inside of the sports book where there, it's like a four-story television screen with tons of games and all the sports odds and like stadium seating. That's inside of the casino, or if it was going to be at Circus Swim, which is an outdoor swimming pool similarly structured to the indoor part, except for, again, outside in the sunshine of Las Vegas, Nevada. If I had to guess, I would say it's going to be inside just because mid-July in Las Vegas sounds pretty warm, uh, although I think it would be quite the spectacle to hold a college football media days session outdoors at a swimming pool slash nightclub slash uh, sports book viewing experience. So very interesting there. And if you saw me on Twitter, if you follow me on Twitter, you saw that as soon as I saw that announcement, I said, breaking news, 1150 KSAL is now going to become the world's, Kansas's most foremost expert on Mountain West football, just because. Why not? That's amazing. I think it's incredible. As as much as I enjoy uh, spending two days in July myself going down to Dallas for the Big 12 football media days sessions, nothing quite hits like a July trip to Las Vegas to talk some college football. So credit to the Mountain West Conference for that one. Um, and that leaves us with the perhaps biggest and baddest headline of the day. It was reported by several NFL media outlets, uh, Michael, uh, or excuse me, um, Adam Schefter, excuse me, and uh, also uh, Ian Rappaport and several others, um, all reporting the same thing on this, uh, which is that Washington Commanders owner Dan Snyder is nearing a deal to sell the organization. There's been pressure on him over the last several years to do that, and it appears they have inched closer and closer to a deal. Um, The leaders, apparently, in the clubhouse for the potential purchase of the Commanders is a group led by Josh Harris, who is the co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers as well as the New Jersey Devils NHL team. Um, But they are not the only Suitors, Obviously, there have been a handful um, who've inquired about it. Uh, the second, I guess, the second place contender uh, with all reports leading to this anyway is Canadian billionaire Steve Apostolupis. 
Uh, or I don't think I said that right. Apostolopoulos. Apostolopoulos? I don't know. It's, a, it's one of the most impressive names I've ever seen in my life. So apologies if I did not say it correctly. I tried to even write it down phonetically, and that just didn't get it done. But Steve Apostolopoulos. Apostolopoulos? I don't know. You get the point. He has put in a bid as well, and he is currently sitting around second place because it is understood that at this point, Josh Harris and that ownership group um, led by him have put in the best offer. And you you may be wondering what that offer is. It is reported, this is not confirmed, reported that the offer for the Washington Commanders, is in the neighborhood of $6 billion. Um, and that's a lot of money. Uh, you don't need me to analyze that for you. Um, it's, it's the, it would be smashing the record for an American sports franchise sale. Uh, if you remember last August, the Denver Broncos sold to the Walton family group um, for $4.65 billion. And that was the new record for an American sports franchise sale. $4.65 billion. And that was less than a year ago now. Well, $6 billion, more than more than a billion dollars more for what I would consider a worse franchise currently is quite the... Oh, quite the sale. My goodness. The the commanders are in a situation where their stadium is really run down. You see almost every season something crazy happening at one of their games where a sewage pipe bursts and pee rains down on fans watching the game. Or a railing collapses and players and fans fall onto one another on the field as they were trying to give high fives leaning into the tunnel after a game. Like, crazy bad things. So, potentially, this ownership group would be spending $6 billion to purchase the Washington Commanders, who are also a perennially bad football team, haven't won more than 10 games in a season since, like, the year 2000 or possibly beyond that. Um... So obviously they're going to have to do roster overhaul and spend money to bring in new talent on top of spending money on potentially a new stadium or stadium renovations. It's just to me I don't I don't it doesn't quite make sense. I think the one thing that does make sense is the fact that it's Washington DC and that that is a large metro area with a lot of larger cities surrounding it, you know, with uh, Virginia and Maryland and all the those surrounding northeastern states. Like, that's a lot of people. It's a big market. Maybe you can do something with this. If you do spend the money, uh, not only the $6 billion to buy the franchise, but again, the money to improve the stadium and improve the team and create a better product, maybe you could see return on that investment several years down the road. I don't know. Seems a little bit crazy. Uh, But more on that will certainly come in the coming weeks um, when that deal nears completion even further or, or is signed. But at this point, again, that is just the rumor is that those two groups are the main contenders as Dan Snyder 
uh, nears the sale of the Washington Commander. So that is a hefty load of headlines for you to start off our show today. Hope your head's not spinning as much as mine is. But when we come back, we will take a look at the Kansas City Chiefs as we quickly approach the 2023 NFL Draft, two weeks from like right this very minute in Kansas City on the doorstep of Union Station It's going to be a sight to be seen. We'll talk about the Chiefs and what they may do in their approach to said draft coming up in the next segment. I'm Jackson Schneider, and you are listening to In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. Welcome back to In the Zone today here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 on the FM dial as well. Crystal clear, might I add, on that FM dial here in Salina. Our Thursday shows on In the Zone are brought to you by In My Home, the home health division of OCCK, your local provider for skilled nursing, home health aid, physical, speech, and occupational therapy, and it's all provided in the comfort of your home. Choose In My Home as your home health provider for quality health services. As promised, let's talk some NFL draft. The NFL draft, again, will kick off in Kansas City at Union Station on the hill in front of Union Station, all that stuff near the uh, World War I Memorial. Two weeks from right now, it's going to be a madhouse. They're getting things ready on the doorstep of Union Station as we speak. I actually have a good friend who lives in an apartment across the street from the location, and her window faces the construction project. Like They're putting up all the stages and all the seating and all the things that you'll see on TV on ESPN and everything two weeks from now. Uh, But it's really cool. It's going to be a big-time event, one of the biggest sporting events to take place in Kansas City in quite some time. So uh, let's put some attention on it, especially as it relates to the Kansas City Chiefs, because they are in a very interesting position this season, Um, not only being the host of the NFL Draft, but they are the reigning Super Bowl champions. So... On a couple different levels, there's a little bit of pressure on this draft. And and furthermore, I'll add, coming off of a Super Bowl, hosting the, the NFL draft and having 10, 10 draft picks to work with to try and further the quote-unquote Chiefs dynasty, right? Like you've got... Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey currently, and several other talented pieces that, again, just won a Super Bowl. But there's still work to be done because they've got to do it again. It's really hard to repeat as a Super Bowl champion. It's really hard to put yourself back in the position that the Chiefs have been in over the last several years. But right now, they've got a great opportunity, especially with the amount of draft pick that they have. Like, they can do a lot of things with those draft picks, that draft capital, we'll call it. Um, 
They could make a big splash, move up a little bit, um, and and take top-tier talent and, and get the fans in Kansas City excited about the draft extra. They could build depth at key positions, which I think is probably the primary focus for the Chiefs roster and Brett Veach right now. But there's a million different directions that the Chiefs could go. The Chiefs will pick at 31st, which is the last pick in the first round. Obviously, they won the Super Bowl. They pick last. They pick 63rd in the second round, 95th in the third round. In the fourth round, they have two picks at 122 and 134. Then they'll pick in the fifth round at 166. And in the sixth round, they'll go 12 picks later at 178, and then again at 217, and then they'll wrap it up with back-to-back picks in the seventh round at 249 and 250. So that is a ton of assets to work with in trying to fill key positions, build depth at important spots throughout the roster. Like, this is a big opportunity for Kansas City. But in a lot of the reading that I have done, the research, there seems to be kind of one general theme of three big overall needs for the Chiefs. And I found I found that it was best summed up by Nate Taylor of The Athletic. And again, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, I highly suggest it. It's very cheap. I think I got a deal on my subscription, and it's like $1.99 a month. And you get to tailor your articles for your specific interests. Like, I have a lot of Kansas City area stuff, like Chiefs, Royals, etc., K-State, KU. But you can get stuff from all over the athletics spider web of talented writers and reporters for whatever your interest is. Uh, So again, highly recommend it. Great stuff that they do. But Nate Taylor detailed some of the Chiefs' biggest draft needs and ways they may attack it. The first that he detailed is an edge rusher, stating that the Chiefs' biggest defensive free agency acquisition has been the signing of pass rusher Charles Omenihu to be the starter or a starter alongside defensive end George Karloftis, who was selected in the first round last year. Came on really strong at the end of the season, still is really young. But Aminahu was acquired to replace Frank Clark. And the team, in addition to that, though, would still like to build some depth at that position. So an edge rusher. A defensive lineman of some sort that has speed and the ability to get after the quarterback. That is big need number one. So you can put that at the top of your, I guess, big board if you're going to have one like Mel Kuyper does. The second is an offensive tackle. And this is not a new need for the Chiefs. This has been something that's been in the works And has kind of been a fluid situation over the last several years. But similarly to last year, this position is listed as a position of need need more for roster insurance, as Nate Taylor calls it in this article. And I love that. Roster insurance. Because the Chiefs weren't able to re-sign Andrew Wiley. They also weren't able to re-sign Orlando Brown. Um, But the projected starter at the moment for the Chiefs is Lucas Niang, 
who was a third-round pick in 2020, lost his starting role in January of 2022 after he tore his left patellar tendon. And prior to his injury, he had shown some promising development and started in nine games. But if the Chiefs want to add depth or competition or roster insurance at that spot, they need to select specifically a right tackle prospect. And Nate Taylor goes on to suggest that if Niang does again win the starting job after training camp, this potential prospect could spend their rookie season serving as the team's swing tackle, which is basically the backup at either the left or the right tackle. Should anyone get hurt, you want to have quality depth, insurance at that roster spot. Made perfect sense to me. I thought it was very well outlined. And the last third major need, I guess, or area of emphasis for the Chiefs here in this upcoming draft is wide receiver. Kansas City made a run at Odell Beckham Jr., who recently signed with the Ravens, and they certainly have considered a trade with the Arizona Cardinals for the likes of DeAndre Hopkins. But a strong argument can be made that the Chiefs should select at least one receiver in every draft. And Nate Taylor says at least one receiver in every draft in the next decade (laughs) to support quarterback Patrick Mahomes. He's the best quarterback in the NFL, widely thought. So, got to give him weapons to work with. So, certainly that makes sense to me. But by acquiring another talented receiver through the draft, the Chiefs would then come in to this season with at least five, quote-unquote, Quality pass catchers, which would include Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Kadarius Toney, and Sky Moore, plus this draft pick. And then, of course, you toss in Travis Kelsey, right, who may be a tight end, but he's one of the most dominant pass catchers in the NFL period. So those are your three big areas of areas of need. And, and as of April 7th, so not quite a week ago, Nate Taylor and The Athletic did a little NFL mock draft, the most up-to-date one that they have. And, and again, I'll go, go to bat for The Athletic. I find them to be widely some of the best reporters, the most in-the-know folks, and the, the quality of work that they do, I trust. So I'm taking their predictions, their thoughts, and I'm going to relay them to you on just the first three rounds because in this most recent mock draft that The Athletic did, All three of those key needs were met for the Chiefs. Now, as I mentioned earlier, that may not happen in the first three rounds. The Chiefs may trade some things around, move up in the first round or two, try to to do something spicy, something to make a big splash because they're hosting the NFL draft. So this may not happen, but in the mock draft that they put together, the Chiefs they projected them to address each of those three key needs. The first thing listed is draft pick number 31 in the first round for the Chiefs, offensive tackle Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, which would meet that first key need, right? Or one of those first three key needs. The second thing that they list is in the second round at pick number 63, which is Auburn edge rusher Derek Hall. And the third and final one of these projected first three rounds is the one that I found to be the most interesting. And and it's going to be a little funny to hear from me because of where this player comes from. 
I'm try- can you tell I'm trying to stretch it along? I'm trying to pull up his stats as well. But Trey Palmer, wide receiver from Nebraska. Absolutely phenomenal player for Nebraska this last year. He spent three prior seasons at LSU, but this last year at Nebraska caught 71 passes, over 1,000 yards, and nine touchdowns. That'll get her done. And, and I am not shy about the shade that I throw in Nebraska football's direction. But I would be remiss if I did not tip my cap in the direction of several of the talented players that have been on Nebraska's roster over the cl- the past few years, specifically last year, and Trey Palmer. He was fantastic. He would be undoubtedly undoubtedly a good addition for the Chiefs offense. Six foot, 180 pounds is what he's listed at. Speedy, possession type receiver. Like he, he can go up and get it, but you can use him in a multitude of ways to fit in to this talented pass catching group that we just talked about. Like this guy would be perfect. So I was very happy to read that. And I would be very happy with that selection furthermore. So there you have it. The first three areas, the three biggest key areas of need for the Chiefs as it relates to the upcoming draft. Three potential names to look out for. One at each of those spots. Hope that gets your train rolling, right? Your your thoughts. I hope they're swirling. I hope you're excited. I hope you're salivating about the potential of this next draft. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to it coming up again in just a little bit less now than two weeks from right now. It's going to be a blast. If you're making plans to get to Kansas City for the first round or for the weekend, get on it now because it's going to be a madhouse. It's going to be packed. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be one of the cooler spectacles you may ever see. So make your plans accordingly now. But we got to get to another break. When we come back, we're going to talk Salina Liberty football here on KSAL. Welcome back to In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. Jackson Schneider joined now by the head coach of the Salina Liberty, Coach Heron O'Neill. And winners of three straight, Coach, you guys are on quite the roll heading into Saturday's matchup with the Omaha Beef. Uh, how are things going in the locker room considering you guys are, like I said, on, on a bit of a winning streak here? Things are going well um, with us being 4-1 and one and tied for second place. Um, this game here Saturday um, goes a long way for, you know, home field throughout the playoffs like we've had the previous two years with us only playing Omaha once this year during the regular season. This is a huge game. Um, I just know every time we go to Omaha, it's always sold out. They got cowbells and, you know, they ringing them horns all in my ear and everything. <laughs> so it's always good to return the favor. Um, and the best way to do it is to pack those fans, have everybody come on out. If you haven't checked out a game, it'd be a great time to um, check one out. Um, it's great competition, probably the top game of the year as far as the whole league. So come on out, check us out. Absolutely. You, you mentioned it might be the top game. I, I think it certainly 
certainly is from my perspective. It's a matchup of last year's Champions Bowl that you guys took home the title from last year, and certainly it's it's kind of a budding rivalry with you guys and, and with Omaha here as of late, having matched up in the in the playoffs in the past, and obviously with last year's history and everything. Is that a bit of a rivalry for you guys? Can you feel that as the coach? Yes, them in Sioux City, um, but the last two United Bowls to decide the national championship were played here in Salina and against the Omaha Beast. So that's who's coming to town. Great chance to check out some great talent on both sides of the football and see an excellent coach football game. Um, it has become a rivalry. A lot of different things have um, gone on in between the line and whistles and all that good stuff. But definitely great football. Two well-coached teams, um, two well-owned teams. They come on out and make Salina proud and stand up for the Salina Liberty. Absolutely. Well, Haran O'Neill is our guest head coach of the Salina Liberty. And coach, let's talk a little bit more about your team. You've got some playmakers really all over the place right now, but uh, I think it all kind of starts with the quarterback, right? And you've got two guys that have played some some big snaps for you, but specifically Gerard Evans has been great so far. 12 touchdowns through the air, four more rushing-wise. What does he bring to your offense? I'm that dual threat ability. Um, He did play in the NFL for two different teams with the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, He does have that experience. Um, He brings that to the table, 6'5", 245 pounds, big man. Um, We also have J.J. Javante Johnson. Um, He won a national championship in the AWFC last year. Um, He was also the MVP of that league. So we have two great quarterbacks looking forward to seeing what they do. And then we also um, are bringing in another quarterback and Nick Ellers, um, who we had just got from the IFL with the Iowa Bondstormers. So we're going to have to make a decision on who we're going to play. Um, not exactly sure exactly one or two or fall three, not sure yet, but definitely should be fun um, to come on out. And whoever we choose, I know the fans will definitely enjoy it. Absolutely. But uh looking at your defense as well I was I was blown away at some of the stats some of these guys have piled up already but you've got a really talented defensive back room guys like CJ Jones and Kevin Simmons and Dontre Matthews have all stepped up really big whether it's with tackles or, or pulling in interceptions but uh, tell me about your defense and what stands out about them well definitely it starts up front with Travis Taylor who's leading the league in sacks um, he's been with us for the past three four years. Um, he also has NFL experience playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was an instrumental part in us winning that national championship last year, and he's off to probably the best start he's ever had in his indoor career. So it starts with him up front. Um, we also have a um, a linebacker in Tariq who we got from Rapid City last year who's starting to come into his own. This would be his third or fourth game with us. He's starting to pick it up and understand where he needs to be. Um, but you mentioned it um, um, CJ played at um, Clemson, won a national championship there in college, um, played in NFL, CFL. He's played in pretty much all the leagues. He only came back for one thing, and that was to get a national championship indoors. Um, so he's thirsty for that opportunity, and I think he's fourth in the, the league in interceptions. And then Detroit Matthews is a guy who's, I think, second in the league in interception, um, is, the, is the glue to our whole team. Um, he plays with that fire. He'll hit anything moving. He'll pick off anything that's in the air. He's a true leader. 
And I just love the way he plays. It's infectious to his whole team. Um, if you haven't seen him play, I guarantee you, um, once you walk out of that building, you will become a fan of number four, the Predator, Detroit Matthews. The Predator. I like that. That is a good nickname for a defensive player. Yeah. I tell you, that that might be one of the best I've heard in a while. But, Coach, the, the group that you have is, I've been so impressed. It's so well-rounded, both offensively and defensively. Is there... Is there any one true strength, or is is your team's strength the fact that it does a little bit of everything really well? Well, that's what we always pride ourselves on as a coaching staff is to have a great offense and defense. The other piece is Jimmy Kowalski, who's our kicker that we picked up after game three, has the highest um, extra point percentage in the whole league with being 12 or 13 from extra points. And if you've ever been to a – um, indoor game those goal pipes are very very small so if you've never seen it it'd be very interesting to see how this guy does this he's a veteran a 10-year veteran of indoor football um, he's been influential with us moving and doing the things we do on the special teams he's a godsend that we picked him up um, so I, I also add him in there into the three phases of the game offense defense and the kicking game um, but it starts with Jimmy Kowalski and we're very very lucky to have him well, certainly special teams is important. And I, I remember a handful of games last year for you guys were, were kind of won or lost with special teams as well. So certainly is a, an important phase of the game that I, I'll admit I kind of overlooked there. So I'm glad you brought that up, Coach. It's really important, especially in a game of this magnitude coming up on Saturday. As you mentioned earlier, you guys are tied for second in the league at 4-1. and one. Omaha, though, they're at the top right now, 4-0, and so you're just right on their heels. How big is this game for you guys and, and the mission that you're moving towards here the rest of the season? Well, our first mission is to have home field throughout the playoffs. The only way you could do that is be the number one seed. So this is a step in that direction. I won't say it's the end for with all because it's not for playoffs. It's not for national championships. So you can't say it's a huge game like that. But it's a huge game because we only play them one time. So, and we got them on our home field for a change. So, finally, the, you know, the, the schedule gods have come in our favor. So, I'm definitely looking forward to – we had a huge crowd our second game um, that was very similar to what we had in the national championship game. And I'm hoping we can build upon that um, this Saturday at 6.30 at Tony's Pizza Event Center. If we could build on that and, and make it even more difficult for this offense to operate the Omaha offense, that crowd last Saturday was crazy. It was very, very loud. Um, it forced about three or four false starts. They couldn't hear the play. They had to call two or three different timeouts. It was awesome. So I'm praying that our fans come on out even in, in, in bigger fashion and come on out and, and, and support their hometown team. There's not too many things going on in Salina um, that you can really be proud about as far as your own home team. This is like – this is my NFL. This should be the Salina, the Salina, the city of Salina's NFL, and come on out and support a national championship team. Absolutely. Well, Coach, while you, you mentioned that, I, I got to get this out there as well. It's very affordable for 
our local fans in town to to come and see you guys. Thirty dollar tickets for the the up close personal, like really front row seats. Seventeen dollars for the red level, twelve for the blue level as well. And hey, if you got a family. 12 and under are just $7 with an adult ticket price as well. So uh, go to Tony's Pizza Event Center.com to get your tickets for Saturday's game. Again, uh, the Salina Liberty taking on the Omaha Beef. And coach, before I let you go, got to ask what are the biggest keys to a win for your team on Saturday night? It's basically get after their quarterback, contain their run game, force turnovers and then offensively not to turn the ball over, be able to move the ball more efficiently through the air, as well as lean on our MVP running back, Tracy Brooks, who's off to a great start with leading the league and rushing touchdowns, as well as rushing yards, um, leaning on him. And then special teams, Jimmy continue to do what he's done, Jimmy Kowalski doing what he's done as far as the kicking game. We can do all those things right there. It puts us in a great spot um, to hopefully come home with the victory. And the other thing I would say is a very big key, is come on out, Salina, support your team. Let's pack those stands. I think that'll be a great advantage moving forward. Absolutely. Well, Coach O'Neill, as always, I appreciate the time. I'm looking forward to Saturday. Good luck, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All righty. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Haran O'Neill, head coach of your Salina Liberty. They're taking on the Omaha Beef Saturday night here at the Tony's Pizza Event Center. So make sure you get on out and, and check them out. It's it's great fun. It's affordable family fun, and they are a heck of a football team as well. But that is going to wrap up our show for today here on In the Zone. We'll be back next time here on 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah.